Faster, Lurie. They're gaining on us. I shifted uncomfortably in the saddle of the two-wheeled, all-terrain rover as I fought to control the wildly plunging handlebars. These ATV units are damn tough, but they were never designed to maintain this rate of speed over the six-inch, iron-hard tree roots that stretched across the uneven mixed forest floor. The rough, jarring ride threatened to send my brother Max and me off the back end at any moment. Of course, the fact that he was fiddling with a weapon instead of hanging on just confirmed my long-standing contention that Max was an idiot. Looking down, I noticed my front tire was starting to cast off chunks of material. So much for the manufacturer's claims of indestructibility. I could only imagine the back tire was taking similar damage, and the imbalanced wheels added a queasy rolling factor to the ride. For a second, I was taken back to the memory of a warm summer's boat ride when we were kids. A squall had kicked up, and the resulting seasickness made me promise to forever keep my feet solidly on terra firma. Chuckling uneasily to myself, I wondered if today was going to be the tragic payback for breaking that vow. Another punishing jolt that threatened to loosen my back teeth brought me back to the present. This most certainly wasn't terra firma. We were, in fact, more than a hundred light-years distant from the emerald planet, thanks to the limit-point continuum technology that enabled mankind's vessels to reach out far beyond the stars visible to the naked eye on Earth. The astral navigators aboard our research vessel, the Jeffrey Laird, had whimsically named this place Fleece. The Jeff, as her crew of 126 call her, was named after one of the more obscure board members of the powerful Pendicus Corporation. Not as awe-inspiring as ship names of the past, like Arc Royale, Constitution, or Enterprise, but it did bring into sharp focus who the powers that be in the known human universe really were. The Corporations. The Jeff was one of a dozen small vessels that ranged out in search of planets and resources to claim. A military fleet sheepdogged a few weeks behind us. Our job was to find, evaluate, and plant our digital corporate flag into the soil of every piece of rock that appeared to have commercial value, be it for future colonization, mineral wealth, or any of a hundred obscure criteria that Mother Pendicus deemed useful. A planet like this, which already had a breathable atmosphere and was capable of supporting life, was a unique find. Unique enough to drop a four-member research team off for a more in-depth analysis. Off to my immediate right, a flash of bone-colored white caught my eye as a creature burst out of a deadfall not far away. If it had been standing flat-footed, it would still have been taller than I am across its back. More adrenaline entered into my bloodstream, but being a nerd at heart, I couldn't help but see the wonder of it. From a scientific standpoint, it was an astounding specimen. Four-legged, it galloped like a racehorse on an intercept vector, its huge, slavering jaws and blue tongue lolling alongside as it ran toward us. Instead of fur, the behemoth was covered in interwoven tufts of coarse mineral strings that layered back along its length and moved in a scintillating pattern as it ran. The eyes, when visible, were four in number. My curious mind wondered if they were all for vision or if a pair were dedicated to other functions or spectrums. As it drew closer and closer, curiosity fled, and genuine fear took over. Gunning the electric motor even more viciously, I tried to outrun it, desperate to catch up to the other bike just ahead, piloted by our mission leader, Drick. Yep, it was official. This planet they had nicknamed Fleece was officially trying to kill us. The soft building whine of a caster rifle behind me and the sudden crack of a discharge made me glance across at the creature. 
It was much too fast to see, but a high-velocity pellet that changed into an encapsulated searing plasma ball upon leaving the caster barrel struck the beast in the side and slid off like rain off a duck. Max attempted a snap-second shot, but as luck would have it, the bike dipped into a depression just as he fired. Instead of a center-mass hit, the round struck the creature's back leg and somehow lodged in a depression in its hawk, sticking to it stubbornly. With an almost human yelp of pain and surprise, it went down and flopped spastically in the trail, trying to bite at the cause of its agony. It was a lucky shot, to be sure. The others fired at the beasts had just been shrugged off. A few moments later, the full pack that had been chasing us for several miles stopped abruptly and circled their wounded packmate. Thankful for the brief respite, I turned my attention away from the bike's rear camera to the future. Fleece had seemed like a harmless enough place from the safety of a geosynchronous orbit around the planet. It showed no indigenous population of anything remotely civilized, no fire building, no land under cultivation, just extensive forests in the lowlands, grass-covered hills accounting for their mid-range altitudes, and at the very peaks, either active or dormant volcanic activity. The only population of life worth noting seemed to be the herds of fifteen-foot-tall, silver-hued, curly-haired herbivores that grazed disinterestedly on the grassy slopes. The less-than-scientific bridge crew of the Jeffrey Laird immediately labeled them Baz, B-A-S, for short, or big-ass sheep, with a snide snicker for a longer explanation. With a tight schedule to keep, the ship had quickly dispatched our four-member survey crew to the surface. The captain had waited just long enough for a high hide and a rudimentary base camp to be set up before he ordered the Jeff to break orbit and speed onward to its next interesting destination. He felt safe in the assumption that the planet was harmless and the high-tech security measures of camouflaging screens, laser fencing, and caster rifles would assure the survival of the shore party. One thing any biologist worth their salt should have realized. Where there are sheep, there are invariably wolves. Up ahead, taking advantage of the momentary lack of pursuit, Drick slowed his rover to allow us to come abreast. With a fearful glance back over his shoulder, he tapped me on the arm and motioned to the massive, tree-covered ridge ahead before shouting, We need to find a defensible position and wait them out. We can't allow them to keep driving us farther and farther from camp. Or what's left of it, Max interjected with a growl. The hide is trashed, the communication mast is down and probably toast. Most of our supplies and equipment are strewn over a four-acre lot, not to mention what they did to Zubkov.